In this podcast, I'm going to try to apply a little bit of cognitive research to general happiness and well-being, but I'd like to start by answering a pretty short reader-listener question. We heard from a Mr. K, and he wrote me on Facebook, asked me what I thought of NZT48 uh, by Web Nutrients. It's kind of funny. I think there's like three or four different companies on the internet now selling a supplement called NZT48. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's where the really big bucks is, is to just to just rip off the the fictional drug from the movie completely. Anyways, you know, I've checked out the website for NZT48 by WebNutrients a couple of times now, and it actually looks like a pretty decent stack. It has, I believe, paracetam and a couple of other racetams in it, which are the smart drugs that I recommend the most highly. So yeah, it, it doesn't look like that bad of a product. It, it even has kind of some cool packaging. <laughs> I wouldn't mind trying it myself, but they have not sent it to me. The one thing I'll advise you is that it may not make for the best first time smart drug. It may not be the best nootropic for you to pop your biohacker cherry with because it consists of these multiple ingredients. So the effect that you're, the cognitive enhancing effect that you're going to get from it is going to be a amalgamation of the different mechanisms of the smart drugs in it. And kind of the objective as biohackers is to figure out like four or five different molecules that have a really specific effect for us individually. And if you start your biohacking career by trying stacks, then you're going to have an idea of what the stack does for you, but you're not going to clearly determine what the individual ingredients effects are on your neurobiology. So for that reason, when people are brand new to biohacking, I encourage them more to get individual ingredient nootropic products, paracetam, aniracetam, modafinil, vitamin B12, ginkgo biloba, rhodiola. You get the idea, but if you go ahead and try it, let me know what your experience is with it, because I am curious about it. Okay, so in the article, the subject of the article was a TED talk that I found really interesting by Dr. Daniel Kahneman, who is the inventor of behavioral economics. And he explains how our happiness is determined and sometimes distorted by what he describes as our two selves. And here's the actionable takeaways that I got from the TED talk which is that the way a story ends. It's very important that we are conscious of the way a story ends in our memories. A bad ending can make our remembering 
self permanently unhappy about an otherwise very happy experience. Therefore, it's essential to recognize and compartmentalize a negative ending to what's going to be a memory narrative. So personal experience. This year, oh boy, this article is a little old. This was about four years ago. I took the coolest vacation of my life. While traveling from Central to South America, I spent four days in the surreal San Blas Islands, which are in between Panama and Colombia. It was a time of real pure relaxation on sunny beaches, meeting the locals of the islands. I even learned just a little bit of their language, eating some great food, drinking fine wine and rum behind bonfires on the beach, making new friends and snorkeling in clear waters. However, it ended with two fairly disastrous events. First of all, at the border crossing, my passport was almost ruined by water damage, and our first night in Colombia, we got robbed. When these two events happened, I made a conscious decision to categorize them as simply a part of the risks of travel and not include them as a part of my mental narrative of the San Blas Islands vacation. And I really do hope you do a Google Images search of the San Blas Islands. They really were resplendent. And I was worried at the time about getting water damage on the only cameras that I had, so I took no photos. Memory anticipation feedback loops. Our remembering self is the one in charge of making decisions. It makes decisions based upon future anticipated memories. I'll say that again because it's actually kind of important. It makes decisions based upon future anticipated memories. We derive a lot of happiness from these self-fulfilling prophecies. So, there's, so if there's a decision you need to make, imagine yourself being happy in the future reflecting upon the decision. And that's going to be a better predictor of your happiness resulting from the decision debatably I think Daniel Kahneman is saying that it would be a bigger factor in your happiness than the actual outcome of the decision itself. I'm trying to think of a way that I could self-experiment with that. Anyways, spend time with people you like. This is another takeaway. And uh, who make you feel good about yourself. And it's actually the most significant measurable factor of happiness, according to Dr. Kahneman. Make it to 60K. It turns out money does buy happiness, but the happiness to income correlation flattens out at about $60,000 for Americans and other comparable countries. So do whatever it takes to get your income to 60K yearly, and after that, focus on other areas of your life to maximize happiness. Interesting. A thought experiment. At the end of a vacation, all your photos are going to be destroyed and you will receive a drug that gives you amnesia. All your memories of the vacation are going to be destroyed. So would you choose the same activities during the vacation? If so, 
then it illustrates a significant difference between the way you're remembering self and your experiencing self perceived happiness. So my question for Daniel Kahneman is, does biological happiness and healthiness correlate more to the experiencing self or the remembering self? Should we as biohackers be more focused on maximizing experiential happiness or creating happy memories? A couple of observations of mine throughout the talk at 30 seconds, over 40 books published in the last five years have happiness in the title. So happiness is researched actually pretty thoroughly around one minute seven. The first trap of happiness is reluctance to admit complexity. The word happiness is too general and we need to adopt a more complex view of it actually. One minute and a half. The second trap is the confusion between happiness and memory. Being happy in your life and being, being happy in your life and being happy about your life. There is a difference. About around one minute 50, the third trap is focusing on illusion. We cannot think about any factor of well-being without being distorted by its significance. Around two minutes and 55, the two selves, the experiencing self in the present and the remembering self, which keeps score of our life, and they are fairly different. Around three minutes, 45 seconds, the notion of happiness gets confused between the two selves. Five minutes and 30 seconds, example from medical operations, when the story or memory which ended in pain negatively covered the entire dialogue. The end of the story makes the biggest difference, as I said, next point. The psychological present is about three seconds long. That's something, three seconds, really. So one, two, three, and we're in the next present. Next point, the remembering self only focuses on very few of these present moments, I assume. I wonder if the three-minute present gets extended in people that do meditation. There's an interesting study for, for the kids out there getting their PhD in psychology. The biggest difference between the two selves is the handling of time. The remembering self is the one that makes decisions. The experiencing self has very little to do with the decision-making process. And I got to be a little bit skeptical about that. I know I wrote that four years ago. But now, you know, people make so many bad decisions impulsively that it makes me think... It makes me wonder if there's a nuance to this point. We think of our future as anticipated memories. We live at the tyranny of the remembering self. That's a tweetable. Thought experiment. At the end of your vacation, all your pictures are going to be destroyed and you'll receive an amnesia drug. Would you choose different activities if you knew that all you were going to be experiencing was the happiness in the present? A person's moment-to-moment -moment happiness, the experiencing self, can vary drastically from the happiness they feel when they're thinking about their life, which is the remembering self. I would agree with that. The biggest factor of happiness is spending time with people we like. We should not think of happiness as a substitute 
for well-being. Again, I think that goes back to well-being actually being a more specific definition of a sensation, whereas happiness is so general. And happiness of experiencing Americans, again, the 60K a year benchmark, and after that, the experiencing self's happiness graph goes flat. I guess that's kind of an a important point that it does go flat for the experiencing self, for the remembering self, who knows. So I'm going to say this is going to be a bit of a value judgment. And you'll want to see, again, my article and podcast on ethical hedonism, because I really do think that ethical hedonism is the hack for maximizing the experiencing self-happiness and the remembering self-happiness. So, see that article. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.